Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5pm at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His Kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. past three weeks we're going to be hanging out with those disciples and learning about what was going on in those times between the resurrection and then Pentecost. Um, Thanks Jonathan. We're going to be asking questions like what was that like? You know what did Jesus say to his disciples? What was he teaching them? Um, What did he do with them? What was he trying to impart to the disciples, to the young church before Jesus went back to be with the Father? And what promises and commands did he leave them with? So he only had six weeks to pack it in. Um, I mean, obviously he'd been very busy for three years, but um, as Jonathan brought that message on how uh, Jesus um, opened everyone's understanding um, to the scriptures, um, this was, was, a, was, a, was like a jam-packed six-week um, download from Jesus. So we're going to be hanging out today um, to see one another one of those um, appearances. Um, today we're going to be returning to John 20, um, and it's a follow-up message from the message that we began on, I think it was last weekend of April, um, when we were looking at Jesus coming in to that locked room on on Easter day evening. Um, So it's the second part to that message, really, um, in John 20. Um, If you haven't caught up with that message, um, then please do. I know it was a bit hard to catch up with messages for a while because we were a bit slow in getting them to Dan. Dan's been brilliant this week. Um, Was that just this week? Um, Getting them all up to to scratch. So you can check out on the the, uh, podcast now. We're up to date um, with this whole series. Thanks. Okay, um, so as we did a few weeks ago, we're just going to rewind a little bit in the story so that we can place what we're going to be reading today in its proper context. Um, Thanks, Jonathan. So as we saw a couple of weeks ago, um, John 20 is divided into four mini-stories. Three of them take place on Resurrection Sunday, and then one of them uh, takes place a week later. So um, in the whole chapter, John covers those stunning events um, of Resurrection Sunday, and starting with the discovery there of the empty tomb, um, Jesus' conversation with Mary Magdalene in the garden, then how Jesus appears and speaks um, um, with the the disciples in his first uh, post-resurrection meeting with those guys. And our story um, is the fourth story in John 20, and it takes place in Jerusalem um, a week after the third story there of when Jesus appeared to the disciples. And so we find them gathered together, gathered together again, um, like we are here today. And uh, once again, Jesus appears to them in their locked room. So let's jump straight into the text. And we're going to be reading, um, this is from the NLT, just five verses again, um, from John 20, 24 to 29. Uh, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. 
Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who's familiar with that story? Quite a familiar story, it's a quite famous one. Um, do we know Thomas by another name? Coral Thomas. Doubting Thomas, isn't it? Well, we're going to unpack, unpack that a little bit today. You know, was Thomas really a doubter? Does he really deserve that bad reputation? We're going to dig in and have a look and see. So what's going on in these few verses here? Well, there are actually some important lessons um, in the passage for us to understand if we're going to be those people who we are, um, who are following Jesus today and looking to be obedient to him and his call, as Dan was talking about last week. So we often miss what is going on in here, though, because we do get distracted around Thomas's doubts and if that's really fair and what would we have said and, you know, um, Thomas's reputation. But so there's a bigger context that's going on that we're going to have a look at today. And so we want to really have a look at the bigger context of the events that immediately precede this passage for this passage to really um, become a little bit clearer to us. So as we've just had a look, we remember that John's just unpacked all those events from Resurrection Sunday. And uh, immediately following the conversation that we've just read out together, um, John has been talking about how Jesus appeared to the disciples in the locked room. We have that message that I brought a couple of weeks ago on that. Thanks, Jonathan. So this is a graphic that I've took from the PowerPoint of last time. We're not going to go into it in as much detail. But um, basically, in that passage of when Jesus appeared the previous week, he's greeted them with that same greeting that he uses today, um, peace be with you. And then he goes, he went on to show them the wounds in his hands and then to commission them to share that good news of the gospel of peace. Then he empowered them by breathing into them the new life and becoming a new creation um, it, but through the spirit of God. And then he gave them authority to minister at the forgiveness of sins in his name. So it was a big day. It was a really exciting day. And if you'd been there, you know, you think about it, it would have been the kind of day that you wouldn't have been able to stop talking about probably for a long, long time, especially if one of your friends was missing. And as we find out today in verse 24, somebody was missing, weren't they? Thomas, one of the 12, wasn't there. Now, we don't know why he wasn't there, just that he wasn't there. And so all week, he had been hearing this story of Jesus appearing and equipping and empowering them. Um, in, the, in the Greek, the emphasis there is that they didn't tell him just once, but they actually kept on doing it, as you would if that had happened to you. So imagine that, Jesus appears to you, after you thought that all was lost. And then he imparts to you the truth that now because of his death, evident in the wounds that he's shown you, that now you've been made right with God. You've got real peace for the first time ever. Not the peace as we learned about a few weeks ago that comes from the world and that comes from a lack of conflict, but the peace that comes, that shalom peace, the wholesale peace of God that has been won by Jesus through his death and resurrection on the cross. Thanks, Jonathan. And just to remind ourselves, Paul sums this up really well in Colossians chapter one, where he says, now he has reconciled you to himself through the death 
of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So that's what's happened to you that evening. And then not only that, but then Jesus breathes into you the spirit of the living God like you've never experienced before. And he makes you completely brand new and empowered to go and share that mission of God. And not only that, as we learned before, you've been commanded and given authority to share that groundbreaking message of life, the transforming message of freedom, forgiveness, and peace. You know, you're different now. As we read, free and full of joy, excited, expectant. You know, you, you imagine their hearts must have been racing. They couldn't get, you know, they couldn't wait to get going on this mission that Jesus had just given them. And so the first person that you want to tell is one of your friends who wasn't there. And so in the text, they're all, they're all telling all at once, all of them. And what happens? Well, he rejects your message outright. He won't believe it. He wants proof. And your word is not enough. Talk about being brought back down to earth. So can we see what's happening here? In the previous chapter, John has written with such passion and clarity about the mission that he's just given. And the disciples were on such a high to share it. Didn't all they have to do, didn't Jesus say all we had to do was share this good news? Doesn't that mean now that everyone's going to believe? But their very first effort at sharing it is met with immediate rejection and unbelief. Thomas, as we said before, often called Doubting Thomas. But actually it's a little bit more than that. In the Greek, he uses a double negative. So it's better to read it like this as I've got up there on the screen. I positively will not believe. So he's quite serious. He's not like, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I'd really like to see that myself. You know, that's a bit of a doubter. Are you sure? He's like, no, I'm not believing that. Not until I can put my finger in there and I can put my hand in his side. So let's think about that for a minute. The disciples' first attempt at witnessing, which was also, let's say, a little bit similar to Mary and how she, her response was, was met with unbelief. Not doubt. Thomas was a believer. He'd been with Jesus for three years. And let's not forget that, you know, he had previously, if you read the whole chapter of John, Thomas is mentioned a few times in John's gospel, more than the other gospels. And um, Thomas had previously displayed great courage when Jesus was talking about going down to visit Lazarus, um, well, well, Lazarus was dead, but going down to visit um, in Bethany. And they knew it was dangerous. But Thomas spoke up and said, no, let's go with him. Even if it means our death, let's go. And so um, what's, what's going on here? Thomas is representing a real obstacle to the gospel going out at this point. If one of the 12 won't believe, then what hope is there? This is a really critical moment in the life of the new church, isn't it? 
And so the mistake of us focusing too much personally on Thomas and his doubt prevents us from seeing the big picture that John is wanting to walk us through. Because we're reading this gospel now, and that's who he's communicating with. He's not just telling a story because he remembers it, and he just wants to have a cup of tea and sit down and share it with you. He's, he, he's leading us in a particular way. He wants us to understand something. And John is walking us through, how do we do life now in this post-resurrection period? What does that look like? He wants us to see ourselves as somebody like Thomas. They're going to find out that, aren't they? They, they, so that's what John's trying to do. How are we going to respond to the good news about Jesus? We haven't encountered him in the flesh like they had. Anybody? Jesus hasn't come and appeared right here in the room said to us, look, come and put your hand in here. So through Thomas's experience, John is asking us to consider a new question. How are we as readers or receivers of the good news of the gospel, who aren't physical witnesses to Jesus's actual presence, how are we going to encounter the Lord in his physical absence? Is it even possible or is that too big a task? Do we need to stand before Jesus as well for him to show us his wounds before we'll believe? Or is the testimony of others going to be enough? Can we believe without seeing? Can faith come by hearing alone? These are the questions that John is wanting us to think through now. So for a whole week, Thomas wouldn't believe. For a whole week, the disciples lived with that heartache of one that they dearly loved, rejecting their message. Now, many of us know what that feels like today, and many of us wish it was only a week. Because for many of us, our children and spouses, family and friends, we've lived with that heartache of them rejecting our message for many years. And John's asking, are we going to give up hope? Are we going to give up witnessing? Is it just too hard? Now it turns out, doesn't it, that Jesus is big enough for these kind of questions. He's big enough to handle doubt and a questioning heart that is genuine. He's big enough also to bring a correction and a rebuke to unbelieving hearts. So if we go back to the story in verse 26... Thanks, Jonathan. What is God going to do with Thomas and his unbelieving demands? Well, as we see, suddenly, eight days later, totally unexpectedly, they're not thinking, oh, here we are, he's late, you know, we're meeting together again, he's going to turn up at any minute. So, unexpectedly, Jesus appears again as they're gathered together on the Lord's Day. And it turns out the second church meeting goes pretty much the same as the first one a week before. Jesus appears and he ministers to them again that shalom peace of God. He shows them his wounds, the evidence of his death and victory on the cross. Peace be with you. 
And in verse 27, as if he's overheard the conversations of the past week, Jesus addresses Thomas personally and commands him to touch his wounds as a response to Thomas's own demands. And so what happens next is a rebuke to unbelief and a blessing for those who will believe. Notice here that Jesus is straight down the line with Thomas, isn't he? He challenges him. Put your finger here, put your hand in my side. And this is intended to shame Thomas into asking those questions. The gospel is asking, do we need to actually touch Jesus now before we will believe? Now, the text doesn't actually go on to say whether Thomas touched him or not. I think that was probably enough for him to begin to believe. Because in verse 29, Jesus attributes Thomas's belief, not to seeing him and not to touching him, but to, see, but to seeing him. But the confrontation of Thomas causes him to make this striking confession, which brings a loud and clear statement to the conclusion of John's whole gospel. Because as we learned a couple of weeks ago, actually just after Easter, chapter 21 is, is an epilogue. So the end of chapter 20 here that we're coming into is the end of John's actual proper gospel, in the way that he's put it together. And so this statement that Thomas makes at the end is, my Lord and my God. And so that sort of bold statement there, Thomas's bold confession of Jesus' true identity brings us as readers of the gospel on a journey from that poem that we remember right at the beginning of the gospel, the true identity of the word, Jesus, who has come to live amongst us, was actually God himself. And so, so throughout John's gospel, he has seven signs that he unpacks to the reader that reveal and confirm the divine nature of who Jesus really is. And then we have it here spoken in the last verses through the mouth of Thomas, one of the disciples, one like you and me, that yes, this man really is our Lord and our God. And so then that's not the last thing that's spoken in the gospel, though, is it? Jesus has the last word in chapter 20. And the last words are spoken through Jesus. And this is the good news that has to go out. Because it doesn't just end. It can't end with just the 12 in that room that day. It is now, that good news is now let loose to transform every reader who reads these words in his gospel. Because you and me, the readers of John, I don't know if you can remember when you first read John's gospel. If you haven't read it all through, give it a go, it's wonderful. As those readers, we haven't experienced a physical Jesus as those did who were in its pages. But that doesn't leave us lacking. In fact, it leaves us with a blessing. That's what Jesus is saying. Can you believe that? How strange. Don't we walk around going, oh, if only I was there. It would have been different. Wouldn't we have loved to have been with him for those three years? Maybe our hearts couldn't really have stood it. I don't think it was an easy thing. 
Now, we can't experience what they have experienced. But John's saying, for those of us who do believe without seeing, there is a blessing. Well, John's recounting that. Jesus is saying it's me. For those of us who do believe without seeing, there is a blessing. So it's our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God that changes our status to blessed. And that's who we are now. We are a blessed people. Regardless of our circumstances, we are blessed. And we are now children of the living God. So what can we learn from this? I've got six points to run through. Now, before you think, oh my gosh, what the time is it? Um, we're going to go through these pretty quick. Thanks, Jonathan. So six conclusions that we can draw from this little five verses of um, this chapter. Number one, don't stop gathering together. You don't want to miss out on what the Lord has for us or has for you individually or for all of us as a community. We see Thomas missing out there. We don't want to have to miss out. Number two, confession of Jesus will sometimes lead to faith and sometimes to opposition. And this, as we've seen, isn't new in this chapter of John. That's what's going on throughout the whole of the gospel, isn't it? When Jesus demonstrates who, who he is and, and speaks out those I am statements, it causes all sorts of trouble, trouble all over the place. And so this is what we are to expect, isn't it? But sometimes our confession and our witness of Jesus brings life. And we are examples of that. We have heard someone else's witness, someone else's confession of who Jesus is, and it has brought life to us. Uh, number three. Uh, Jesus' appearance to Thomas reminds us that he will be with us in our mission to share this good news. So we have to be faithful, like the disciples were, on our part to share and then trust Jesus to reveal himself in the hearts of others. We can't make them believe, no matter how many times we keep telling them. But we are to be faithful to him. We have to trust him because at the end of the day, we're joining in on his mission not him joining in on our good idea. So Jesus was faithful and he showed up and revealed who he is. And he's doing that all over the globe today. He's appearing in dreams, in visions, to people who've never even heard about him because someone is praying somewhere that he will. So Jesus is faithful. This is his mission. It's God's mission that all would know him. So our job is just to share what we know of him. Thanks, Jonathan. To reject the, the, the witness's testimony is not to reject the person who's telling about Jesus, but it's to reject God himself. So we can't take it personally, and I think that's a trap that we fall into quite quickly and easily. We've, we fear being rejected by others, but actually... They're rejecting God, and that is serious business. Um, Edward Clink, in his in the Zonovan Exegetical Commentary that I've been using, speaks about this in this way. Thomas wants to return to his pre-resurrection faith with Jesus, i.e. Jesus in the flesh. 
He is demanding that Jesus be for him as he had been prior to his glorification. This is not doubt, as is often interpreted. It's actually rebellion. It's a refusal to relate to God on his own terms. Thomas has pit life with Jesus against life in the spirit and chooses only to relate to the former. He was not rejecting the disciples when he denied their witness. He was rejecting God. So we just have to continue to be faithful in sharing about Jesus as much and as often as we can. Number five, unbelief is rebellion and needs to be corrected before it turns us away from God. Do not be an unbeliever, but be a believer, is what Thomas is what Jesus says to Thomas. Do not be an uh, do not be an unbeliever, but be a believer. And this is a dangerous territory for us. Having questions and doubts is fine, but unbelief is not. In Hebrews three twelve, we read, "Be careful, then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God." You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubts. But we really have to guard our hearts against unbelief because it hardens us against God and what he's trying to bring to us. Jesus nipped it in the bud with Thomas that very first week. And lastly... Thanks, John. <laughs> Catch you. We who believe are now blessed because we believe without seeing. And faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? Do you remember in Romans 10, 17, Paul encourages us. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. So that's the story about Thomas. And it's an encouragement to us, isn't it? In this season of learning about how Jesus is, he keeps equipping us and sending us out with this good news to be faithful in doing that. How are we going to respond to that today? We've done lots of responding this evening already, haven't we? So I want you to go home with some questions in your heart and to spend some time this week with the Lord in your quiet time and reflecting. When was the last time you shared that good news? When was the last time you prayed for someone to receive Jesus? When was the last time you prayed for someone to turn and believe in him? Now, those questions might make you start feeling very uncomfortable. But I want you to understand, I'm not trying to throw stones, but bring a challenge. And to encourage us as a community to keep pushing into the space of sharing and believing that the news that we have can turn lives around. And to challenge us, how much do we actually want that? We all need to be challenged. I need to be challenged. 
you need to be challenged. Where are our hearts at in this space? Because God responds to hearts that are crying out. And if they're not crying out, now, of course, God is sovereign. I'm not saying he isn't. But he wants to use us. And he responds when we pray, when we step out, when we're obedient. So if we aren't doing either of those things or any of those things, then how are we going to see his kingdom breaking in? I was listening to a song this week in the car, turned up for coffee, for coffee with Joe and Dan in the right old mess. Um, tears streaming down my face because I was really challenged through this message because I've been studying it and preparing it. And I'd been listening to a song. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the one I love. Do you know that song? When I was 23, Caris's age, I was jumping up and down on a beach in Littlehampton on the southeast coast of Britain with thousands of other young people about my age and some a little bit older. And we jumped up and down to that song, didn't we, Jonathan? We sang our hearts out. We got swept up in this massive wave that was going on throughout the young, through the young people. And it catapulted us to respond to God and say, we're going to do anything for you, God. Anything. And he said, okay then. And he picked us up and he said, what about Australia? What about then? And he took us on a journey and that's why we're here today. Because we got swept up in that move of jumping up and down and declaring as loud as we could, we aren't ashamed of the gospel. We aren't ashamed of the one that we love. You know, and I was in pieces in the coffee shop because I was like, when's that wave coming? When's it coming for my kids? When's it coming for yours? We have good news, don't we? We want to come out and share this story that we have. But if we're afraid and ashamed or too busy or fed up, we're not going to get very far. So I don't want to leave this on a, on a downer with you guys today. But I want to encourage us to keep pushing into this space of praying and of seeing that message go out of good news. Should we pray? And Jane, thank you for your text. I said yes. A few weeks ago, we got together in the hub. We prayed with one another for our friends who don't know Jesus. We sat around and we said, what are we going to do about this, everybody? And someone came up with a great idea. I think it was Joe. Why don't we get together in these little groups and regularly pray for our people who don't know God? And then we all went home and got on with life for two or three weeks. And then Jane got hold of me this week and Joe and said, hold on, are we going to get together and pray for these people? And so it takes obedience, doesn't it? It takes doing something. It takes a step. It takes a commitment. So I said to Jane, yes, please, this week. And Joe, I hope you're going to say yes to we just have to find some time to do it. So let's keep praying for our friends and our family to discover who Jesus is. Let's pray. How about you stand?
Lord, you know where my heart's been at this week with this message. And I just want to confess to you, Jesus, that I'd love to do more. And I pray, Lord, for all of my friends here tonight. That you would begin to warm our hearts and set a fire under us, Lord, to share who you are and the way that you've turned our lives around. And Lord, that for our church, for Vineyard Brisbane West, that we would begin to see fruit, as we've seen in that bag this, this afternoon from Jackie, from her neighbour's garden. That our neighbours and friends and family would turn to you. So Lord, we just come, we confess, we're sorry, Lord, for where we have prioritised other things. And we say, Lord, we want to be obedient to you. So Lord, take us and spend us, Lord. Let our eyes be opened to how and when and where we can share this good news. We put it into your hand, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.